This is your host, Dr. Mesma Shabazz. Good afternoon, everyone, beautiful people all around the world. I'm so happy to be here with you, and I'm grateful that you check in every other Friday with me. And today I have a beautiful friend and lady whom I've known for many, many years and I haven't seen for a while, Myrna Garcia Bowen. Uh, welcome, Myrna. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's great, great to, to be you. here. It's great, great to see here. you. I haven't seen you in ages, but, you know, we touch base and we kind of just take it off from wherever we left off, right? Yes, which, absolutely. Which is a nice thing, which is a nice thing. You and I known each other for many years. And absolutely. we I, I find that we started our careers in admissions in higher mm -hmm. ed, right? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What got you into admissions? Well, that is a very interesting journey. I initially, when I went to college, I was going to be a nurse. And in transition, it just doesn't seem like that was the journey that was destined for me. So I did graduate with a, a degree in uh, my undergraduate in psychology with an emphasis in biology because I took all the, the required nursing courses. And so with that degree being a general degree, I landed a job in a nonprofit organization in, in the town where I was raised. And the nonprofit organization did a lot of work with displaced homemakers. They did a lot of energy assistance. They also had programming for youth. And my job was to train and supervise and develop youth during their summer programs so that they can aspire to something other than what they might have been used to, or at least to plant a seed so that they can think of goals and objectives for their future. In doing that, I came across a position that would not be necessarily something I could recommend my clients, if you will, at the time to apply for because they needed an undergraduate degree in order to apply. And so I said, well, let me give it a chance. I've been working with the Community Action Agency probably two, two and a half years in the program. And I applied to the position with no real intentions of going on to higher end. The position was assistant to the director of admissions for Eastern Connecticut State University. Okay. That was uh, back in 1982. That was a long time ago. Right. And I went in with an open mind, taking a chance, which is what I did. I, I usually thought out of a box. I don't know, you know, by the grace of God, they, they give you directions on, on what to take and chances to take, right? Nice. So I took the chance, I got the job, and I have been in higher education since 1982. That's and not nice. only at Eastern, not only at Eastern, obviously my travels have, have provided me with other opportunities along the way in higher education, which we'll talk about potentially. Right, later. right. And, and I noticed you also were in the community college system I in was. Connecticut, which I was too. So right. we kind of have similar experiences in terms of, you know, the population we work with, uh -huh. right? And the young adults that come in at most, either from very good neighborhoods and et cetera, uh -huh. and some uh -huh. not so lucky, right? Uh -huh. and, and the interesting thing about community colleges for me is that it opens up to anyone who wishes to have a college degree. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That resonated with me very much so. In particular, because of my experience, I'm a first generation college graduate. And what that means is that neither one of my parents went to college. One of my parents didn't even graduate from high school. And both my parents were factory workers. They came to this country before I was even born to for opportunities, like many uh, individuals. Did they, come from? they came from Puerto Rico. Okay. So they had to migrate, right? Right. From one culture to another. And I said, if my parents could do it, I certainly can do it. So my my educational experience was in a very unfamiliar territory when I was born because my culture was very much ingrained in me while I was growing up. And that's a Latino culture. And my school was predominantly Anglo, European, Mm -hmm. uh, people with European descent. And I my parents were very adamant about making sure that we were very familiar with our culture and where we came from. So I spoke Spanish primarily when I went to school. So I had to learn the language. So language acquisition was very difficult for me. And obviously I stood out like a sore thumb, but I didn't let that interfere with the understanding that I had a lot of support at home. I had a lot of love and they expected me to succeed. Right. It's important, you know, that when we look at our backgrounds, because I grew up outside of this country, right? And and coming in. So I was grown up and I had my own structures, you know, from my background and bring it in here. So it worked out pretty well for me. And I had my own thoughts and visions and et cetera already in place, right? But then people who grew, grew up here coming from a different culture has a, a whole different pathway to, you know, developing oh, absolutely. their own sense of self mm-hmm. within mm-hmm. the system, mm-hmm. which can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Not only self, sense of self, but a sense of belonging. Right. It's that whole sense of, you know, do I really belong here? Am I that different? And some communities Mm. make you understand, yes, you are different in their eyes. It takes a person who is secure in their skin, I would say, to persist because many of us, where I say Puerto Rico is not part of another country, but in, in fact, we are a commonwealth of the United States, which sets us apart from the mainland. Right. uh, Because uh, in Puerto Rico, we're all Latinos, right? Right. We all speak Spanish. We all go to schools in the system where Spanish is taught, English is taught as a second language in Mm -hmm. Puerto Rico. So in essence, I had very similar experiences in terms of transitioning to a culture that was totally unfamiliar to me at such a young age. The fact that I had, I think, the love and security of my family helped me persist and tackle those challenges, I would say, head on, because I didn't know what it was to feel different until I came here. To, well, uh, you know what I'm saying? It, it I, is I can relate to that. I can relate to that because all the time I was growing up, I never thought of myself as a color. Right. You know, until I got here. Right. And then there's distinct marks, you know, like lines drawn as to 
where you fit in as a black woman or uh -huh. as a as a this person and as yes. a that person and you know the little pockets of where you belong and where you don't belong yeah. and I can relate to that because you know the sense of belonging I mean there have been times I wake up and I think okay I probably should leave mm -hmm. and it is difficult sometimes for our sisters you know other sisters you know risk mm -hmm. being the boundary set right to understand how how we feel mm -hmm. and it's not intentional it's just because it's not in their frame of reference correct, right? correct. because i know some of them are very kind oh, know, yes. white women but it's not in their frame of reference to wake up and think you know oh right uh, somebody might be feeling some kind of way right um or they don't know how i'm treated if i go out to the store Mm -hmm. Or if I went, drove down the road to the next town over, mm -hmm. that it could be a very different experience for me. Oh, absolutely. Um, but to surprise, to my surprise, I think those experiences made me a stronger person and a more self-secured person because I feel that if if I'm secure in my own skin. Mm -hmm and people understand that, they'd be a little bit more aware mm -hmm. that I'm not that different. Right. If I excelled in school, yes, you may think I'm different, but I can compete <laughs> as much as you can. And I think that's something that I feel, even though my parents did not have an education, they instilled in us that um, you have to be proud and you have to be kind. Right. You know, to those that are totally unaware who you are as a people, as a person. Yes. So now, as, as you say this, you know, one of the things that comes to mind is recognizing that we have opportunities also to be teaching agents. Right. Right. Because there are people who act out of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we are patient enough will be able to show them or teach them something about what is transpiring in order for them to also gain mm -hmm. you know something from that experience oh absolutely and it, it's not it's it's interesting because when I was growing up I would not have thought that this is what I was doing right I was being I felt I was you know back then not knowing what I know now I can now attribute the way I behaved to a sense of being secure, mm -hmm. a sense of feeling loved, a sense of having a safe environment that I used to go home to all the time mm -hmm. that helped me tackle those challenges that I tackled every single day as a young child and as a young adult. Now, as, as you say that, you know, I, I just had a flash back as to that parents do the best for their kids, right? And most parents, irrespective of education, economics, et cetera, really do give their kids a lot of love. Mm -hmm. And I'll be remiss if I don't mention this because we're in the same state and we have experienced Sandy Hook. Oh, you know, yes. Where kids were just left a loving home and then go to school 
and just gunned down like nothing. And and it, it it's just painful. I remember the first time that, you know, I heard the news I was at work in Meriden, actually. Mm. And I was, you know, I thought, oh, afternoon, there's a shooting in a, an elementary school. You know, and I, I kind of thinking, oh, it could be probably the grown-ups, you know, working there, you know, outside something. I didn't even think of children being hurt mm. that way. And until I left work and driving home and I was sitting in my car and I really got the details of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I remember clearly stopping at the traffic light and sobbing. Really, you know, that's how painful it was. And here we are again. I can't tell you how many tears I shed then. And I'm still shedding for all of the reasons that I think anyone that is a parent, a mother, a sister, a wife, a sibling, to any of those young lives that have been lost, I think of as a mother myself, I, it's painful. It's just uh, the pain that I feel for all of the survivors and the pain that I feel for not only the children, but the, the families of the perpetrators, because their parents too. It's very painful. And I, I pray, I'll be very honest with everyone. I pray every single day for those in Sandy Hook, for those with the 9-11, with those that, um, and, and Texas has had two incidents of this kind. And I pray for some kind solace for, for those who are behind because it's a tough journey. It is. And, journey. and for all of us, right? And, Absolutely. And I think you and I working with, you know, the group of young adults that leave high school into college and you do articulations, et cetera, right? Yes. Now, at Central now. Do you want to share a little bit about your work? With the- yes. I developed this, this office actually. I started my career in admissions, as I indicated earlier, but my positions and my professional journey led me to work as the interesting thing. When I entered the community college, I entered as the director of student activities. Right. And then a year later was appointed because of my background to become the director of admissions. So I had a wealth of knowledge in terms of student behavior at the community college. I had knowledge of the curriculum. I had knowledge of resources. So I I came to Central back in 1998 with that experience and with the understanding that if I'm at a four-year institution and the the natural segue for students going from a two-year institution to a four-year institution, we need to pay attention to that population. Right. And, here, and back then, it was just business as usual. We're going to treat every student the same as our first year students, those students coming out of high school, which many of us may know who have gone through the process or have children in high school, the process for a transfer student is totally different than the process of a new and the needs right. and right. the needs, right? of a transfer student. So back when I started, we were developing programming and I said, we need to pay attention to this population. And one of the things you will know from a person that works admissions is we're always watching the numbers. Right. What I mean by that, right? Right, right. It's the demographics. It's the demographics. So Mm -hmm. So we know that in order for us to meet certain institutional goals, 
we need to know what pool we're working with, right? What pool do we have available to us? And one of the pools, you can't ignore any of those pools. Mm -hmm. So one of the proposals I had made every time we had some programming, I said, okay, so what are we doing for the transfer students? How are we accepting those transfer students? I knew some of the transfer students that was the first educational opportunity for them. It's the gateway to higher ed for many and it's affordable. So what are we going to do to transition the students and make sure that all the credits that they took at the community college transfer seamlessly to programs that we have here? So one of the things I also did is I, I was a member of the governance structure here, which is the Senate. I proposed to the faculty who make the decision because they govern the academics, right? I said, anytime you're adding a course or changing a course, keep in mind that we have articulated many and we need to articulate any new course with the community college. We can't change that. If it's a lower division course, we need to make sure that there is that articulation. And so I assisted faculty in making sure that their mindset was, if I develop a course that I know the community college offers, I need to make sure that there's some alignment right, so that right. the student doesn't lose that in transition. Right. And, and, and back in the day, if I remember correctly, before these articulations were made, that a lot of community college students were entering the four-year institutions, losing a lot of the credits they have earned at the community college system. And it's, I would say, gratified because we did some of the work together that to see that there's been huge improvement in that area. Right? Oh, there's there's been a real big improvement in that. And I think some of the, the major improvements, we've been doing this work all along. We've been connecting with the community college. I remember when I was at the community college, I always had a partnership with the surrounding schools wherever I was working. I, at that time, I was working in New Haven. So I brought in U, University of New Haven. I brought in Southern. I brought in even Yale to, for some of our students who might want to go on to a private institution. Any of the private institutions, I even went into Bridgeport area. But I did some collaborative efforts with the institutions to see what they can do for our students as they transition. Because every course they lost was an investment that they're losing. <laughs> right. And and I think the message we're sending out now is, you know, for students leaving the high school system who want to start at the community college can do so with the confidence that they can then transition to a four-year if they so choose and still continue earning credits towards their bachelor's degree, a four-year degree, without, you know, having to start over, right? Right. The process Absolutely. has changed. Absolutely. And and it's, I think it's even more critical now when we think of, you know, I'll go back to what you just said before, that the parents of these kids actually killing these 18-year-olds, right? What drives an 18-year-old? There are so many choices within the system that they can have. Oh, absolutely. And instead of being fueled with all this hatred, et cetera, et cetera, as an avenue they chose to take to create this disharmony in our lives, they have another option of looking at a community college where, I mean, they can even complete their two-year degree without having a debt. Most states in the country do offer courses to high school students, in fact, 
you can start earning college credits in high school and then transfer that to your two-year yes. program. And then, you know, so there, there is hope. There's light out there somewhere oh, that, there you know, kids can take advantage of. But there's even, even going further, even I tell a lot of my family members, I wish I knew then what I know now. Right. Because, and I said, and I really pride myself in saying I had something to do with that because I'm very vocal about advocating for students, knowing that I'm a first gen and knowing the, the challenges that many of us face because we didn't have all the resources available to, to us. And so one of the other things I tell students, because I still do talk to traditional students in terms of getting transfer credits is they have the option of the AP exams. They have the option of the ECE courses, which are courses that are college level courses offered at the high school. So you can actually graduate and the high school partnership program. Programs, which, you know, yeah. And and those are the ones I think you you were there working at the community college when we had those high school partnerships. Right. We did a lot of partnerships I did with 18 high schools right, right. In, my, in my area and set up systems where they could do the exams, et cetera, yes. and gain college credits. Right? Yes. Right. So they can actually get a full, or some, some students got a full semester's worth of credits. Credits, right. So they're kind of looking at being advanced students and finishing their undergraduate so that they can prepare for graduate school if that's the journey that they choose to, to pursue. But there's some great programs out there. One of the, the things I do still struggle with, with regard to the high schools, not all the students are made aware of these opportunities at the high school or just a selected few. And so that was one of my other initiatives is making sure that I had presentations at the high school and that we talked about all these other opportunities while they were in high school so that anyone that came to my presentation would know a little bit more, not so much just about where I was working, but enough to get them uh, more information to make them more admissible to, to, to let them know what opportunities are out there for them. That I did, I did intentionally because I know that there are- It is important, right? Absolutely. I I would invite the adult education students to campus for them to experience what going to college feels like. Right. Oh, absolutely. And, and there are so many packets of opportunities that we can take advantage of and allow people just educating, you know, people from with the basics. It doesn't have to be anything complicated. Right. To invite people in versus keeping them at arm's length. And that has to change in so many ways in our in our society, because I think it, it also part of the root of the problems we're facing. Absolutely. There's something that you had mentioned earlier in terms of the 18-year-old and what makes them behave the way they behave. One of the things I think the challenges that we're, we're facing right now, even with all the opportunities we just mentioned, is the mental health situation. With all of challenges that we faced in this last couple of years with COVID, with all of what we've experienced with Sandy Hook and currently in Texas, I think it's really, really important for the professionals and the parents to be educated about signs of how their child is is exhibiting behavior that needs further attention. 
How do you do that? That that's the challenge I'm having is saying what got an 18 year old or whatever age year old to do something yeah. that is so painful. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to say that there is just such an increase in the lack of identifying these behaviors that we really need to pay more attention to that and educate people a little bit more about signs. I think there's a breakdown somewhere there know, is. In, in the chain of things, right? And, and I think we have to form stronger communities so that yes. it's not only bearing on the parent, right? There's somebody else who may have noticed yes. a problem with this kid and you know, kids in general, not yes. in, in a specific thing, person and recognize that, oh, something is not going right here and have some interventions or yes. you know into you know have some leaders within the community intercede you know and and really help the kids out and and so pointing really. them you know it's not like instituting force or anything no 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 we're no. just leading them into do you know you could go to this place for the relief right could be an avenue they can take right right but there should be more than the parents noticing. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. these kinds of breakdowns. Oh, I agree 100%. You know, I, I'm a true believer it takes a village to raise a child. Well, it really does. And the village consists of so many different components, right? Right. And the more we build a community, and you said it, this is one of the things that we've tried to do here on our campus and everywhere I work is I try to build a community. I try to build a community of different backgrounds, right? I do it with the students. I engage in clubs and organization. And then I say, what are we going to do with the community? How are we going to bring our community to the external community? That's an important component. How do you mentor? Mentoring. Right. Right. Mentoring. Mentoring kids. You know, I remember, you know, when I was on campus, you know, some of my colleagues when students were in trouble said go see Metsuma you know know, and 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 there was one time I told my dean you guys have to give me some resources so I can give the gifts you want me to give to the students right because sometimes some of them just even don't have money to buy a bus pass to get back home for that afternoon yes right and it's not it but they want to be in school Oh, yes. So instead of them dropping out, what can we do? Yeah. And, and, and student activities would be yes. one of the areas where we could figure out ways to support the students who just are having a difficult life. Yes. And at least we should know which students, right? And, and I think this comes full circle and I'll change topic in a little bit. That even in church, that there might be somebody in church sitting yes. on the pew going through some challenges, but people wouldn't know. Yes. yes. Which I find a, a really difficult to process. As do I, especially right. in a place like this. Right. So somebody will come to church sad, yeah. going through a lot, but there isn't a distinctive resource within the church right to say oh if you're going through this kind of problem this is the person you go to see Uh and this is where you go those things should be readily available absolutely either because some some individuals i've learned see i practice intrusive advising and when i say intrusive advising i said i the best advice i could give you is based on the information you provide me 
So what I try to do is before I go into my advising is make sure the individual knows that this is a safe space. Mm -hmm. I do not judge. I am embracing everything that you represent when you come to my table, right? Right. But I think it needs to be put in writing as well because some, some individuals are, you know, there's a trust issue. Do I tell me, the, the person that they're coming to see everything right. or not? And it all depends on how you approach each and every one. So if I'm sitting near a pew, in a pew with, with someone that looks sad to me, and I've been going there every day or every Sunday, Sunday. Or hour, whatever, <laughs> and whatever day you, you right. go, and right. the person is there and their demeanor changes all of a sudden, you, it, it's like a transcript, right? You're looking at a transcript. The student is doing fabulously, and all of a sudden, their grace plus a drop. And you know, there's That's the a reason sign. for a drop, right? There's a sign. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think the same applies to that concept. If you see someone that looks sad, maybe going up to the person and saying, is there anything I can do? Approach, you know, that people just don't approach people anymore. Right. No, we, we all diving into our cell phones for the most part you know in fact we're not having conversations anymore no it's not easy you can go to a doctor's office now and everybody's sitting there with their phone yeah right you don't even notice the person next sitting to you and whilst it's nice to have the technology that we do i think heart to heart interactions have been minimized in some shape or form it's just when we were making some some headway i think right right but uh we've we've taken some steps backward i i truly believe that but as long as they have people like you and me i think they're going to have a hard time with not bringing it back (laughs) well you know we can't afford it i i enjoy conversations and i enjoy knowing people and just not just the face Absolutely. You know, another face. Just, I want to know. Absolutely. Like, dive deep Absolutely. and get to know more about you, et cetera. And one of the things I remember very well, you invited me when you were, you are still president of the Connecticut Association of Latinos in higher ed, right? Yes. Right. Yes. So yes. you invited me, you invited me over and, you know, I got the interest in exchanges, you know, yes. with other, uh, Latinos in high ed, you know, and I came to all your meetings. I, That's I, right. Right. Do you want to share a little bit about the organization and uh, yes. what you do? So this organization is an organization that's very near and dear to my heart. And the reason I say that is because it was founded in 1978 by some, a very few Latinos who were working in higher education. And they noticed that the student pool was not representative of that population, right? This is an old song. Yes, (laughs) yes. So these, and they were faculty members, they were administrators, Latinos, they're very few. And it was, it just took a few to say, you know what, let's get this organization going. And one of our mission was to advocate on behalf of students, faculty, and anyone else who wanted to pursue higher education, because we saw many of us, you know, and back then I was still in college. But we saw that there was a great opportunity to be able to give Latinx students or any students really the opportunity to consider higher education and not be afraid of it. Because we also served as role models. We, we survived it so we could say, you know, despite all odds, we're here, we're here and, we're, right. and we're here to help you. 
So the organization was uh, built. It was given the 504, I believe, sanction as a nonprofit organization. And we do a lot of things. We offer scholarships to uh, students and we build that from ground. We were starting to offer $500 scholarship and that's pretty recent, if you will. And we now offer $1,000 scholarships, which helps with books and supplies. Mm -hmm. We do activities, uh, fundraising activities in order to supplement the scholarships. We also have workshops for students and parents to make them aware of the college process, what kinds of things they need to prepare, how to prepare. And we also have professional development seminars for professionals who are looking to advance either in higher ed or outside. So we have people, role models coming in, talking about their journey and how to get there. My position, I've been involved in higher education, in Kalahe since 1982, actually, where they actually reached out to me. Remember, this was my first experience in 1982 in higher education, and this the organization had already been established. So the president of the organization found out that I got a position in higher ed because most of us, if not all of us, are higher ed. We have also some community leaders from nonprofit organizations on the, on the board, but all of us, for the most part, are higher ed workers. And she said, would you like to participate in this organization? And I'm a first generation student. They talk about first gen, low income, and that fit my profile. And so I said, sure. And I was shy because I didn't know what, you know, I was shy, but I I also, in being shy, I took risk. That's one thing my parents always told me. You don't know how to say no. You don't know what, you know, what's in front of you. I says, yeah, but that's the only way I'm going to learn. So I was a curious type of, of child as well. I mean, it, it, I think it, it is important to know in terms of taking risks, right? right. Because right. It, it allows you to step into something and, and it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Correct. But when you step into it and you learn more about it, then you're also able to open a door Absolutely. for somebody else. Right? Absolutely. Because but I also, the other thing that, because I was, I don't know about you, Dr. Shabazz, but here's one of the things that I know to be true in many of my positions. I was the only one. <laughs> I said, it can't be that yes. I'm the only one. Yeah, I, I know that too well. I mean, I can tell you how many meetings I went to and I was the only one in the group yeah. all the time. And it got tiring sometimes. Right. Because, you know, it's like in exchanges of ideas and thoughts and nobody within the group can relate to what it is that you're you want to share and change, right? Right. And so you have to work three times as hard before it gets picked up. And yeah, it it was challenging. It was, it was. And sometimes rewarding as well, right? It was very challenging, but then you go to bed and say, okay, I did my best. Yes. I did my best in this area. And I was able to have somebody reflect on something differently. Absolutely. And so so that's one of the things that the organization gave me that opportunity to see that there are other professionals out there mm -hmm. and that their mission aligns with my mission and vision. And so with that strength, I was able to be involved in the organization and I'm still involved in the organization. I call ourselves, we call ourselves the ex officios because (laughs) I was the president up to 2020. Mm-hmm. And so now we want to, we are coaching the young up and coming 
professionals because uh, full disclosure, I will be retiring in <laughs> next month <laughs> after 40 years of serving in higher education. Well, you know, I, I have found retirement very exciting and, you know, beautiful. So, you know, all I can say is, you know, congratulations on that. And, Thank you. you know, I'm, I'm so glad you're going to have a whole different chapter of life and all the work you put in is going to be paid back in a whole different realm. It's, I mean, you can wake up sometimes and pinch yourself. And I like, oh my God, do I really <laughs> feel real? this way? I, really, for real, um, right? <laughs> yeah, because I left early, you know, at the earliest possible time I could retire, I did from her head and, you know, I've not had a moment's uh, regret. Oh, it, it's, is been, awesome. it's been beautiful, really. Well, so. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, you said something very interesting because in everything that I say and I do, and it resonated with me is when you say pay forward. Mm -hmm. I'm a true believer mm -hmm. that all of what I do and all of what I say, I have to remember where I came from. And I have to remember that anything I do and say can impact someone. And if it's in a positive way, I'm paying forward what someone right. else did for me and right. opening up those doors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, we can live and, and be mentors and be examples for others if we are not measuring our output mm -hmm. with love right mm -hmm. and and doing it well mm -hmm. you know absolutely. we can't do it haphazardly absolutely. it has to be it's all in or nothing uh, okay. we can't play this role that we do in you know especially what we've been through and you and i have walked similar paths yes. so, uh, <laughs> we, we know we know this quite well that we we can we cannot step into these roles and not give it our all mm -hmm. it it will be a um a waste of an opportunity. And, and I think the divine blesses us to these places so mm -hmm. that we can help foster some kind of change. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and if we don't do it, then we've, we've, I think, let down the blessings that was endowed. Oh, absolutely. I think about every single day and the challenges I face. And I always say the good Lord does not give you any more than what you can handle. Right. I live by that. Well, sometimes, you know, I always say, good Lord, please, you know, can you lighten can you, this Yes, look it up. <laughs> because I was like, okay, no. this, one, this one is just a little too much for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I need some time until I can finish the first one, well, right? Please, Lord, you know, was this necessary? I don't know. You know, I didn't need to open this door to <laughs> but you know as we're talking i know you are an advocate of women uh, justice issues social justice mm -hmm. can you shed some light on them because i know also women go through a lot in our different roles oh absolutely right? i made it my business early on to get involved with any organization because you can't do this by yourself this work no, you can't no, do by yourself no, again it takes a village to do some of the things that we are passionate about. And so early on in my tenure here, I got involved with the Committee on Concerns of Women. And I did that because the committee did not represent me at the time. And I, there's so few of us. <laughs> 
sometimes represented at the committee that I said, no, no, I want to be part of part of the outcomes of this. I said, but you're going to hear it from a different perspective because I am a female. Not only am I a woman, I'm also a Latina woman. So for me, it has been a double whammy, if you will. So I, I have experienced a lot and a lot, I, I say, you, sh- I should, you should never as a woman have to experience things alone. There's always an ally. And I found those allies to help me move forward in my mission. So I am a true believer to find your allies because you, it, if you do it on your own, it, you're going to put more of a stress and burden on yourself. Right. And, yeah. and I don't think it's meant for us to do it alone, right? Absolutely. Because we, we started talking about communities, uh, right. et cetera. But in, in also forming our allies. Allies, absolutely. We can't put we can't put boundaries or limitations on who that ally is. Correct. Right. That is correct. That it it, it has to come from all parts. All walks of, of life, of absolutely. Our communities, right? Absolutely. You can't say I don't want men in there, I don't want white women in there and everybody should be at the table because that's what life is all about i mean you're not you know uh, i my allies are from everywhere my allies are from every piece of what represents the institution every part of what represents every part of the fabric of the institution are my allies right and i pick from that i don't pick from one unit not at all i i can't begin to tell you one of my assistants said, Rana, you know everyone. I says, yes, and I embrace everyone. Right. And I said, and those that embrace and align with my mission and vision are even closer allies, you know, for me, um, because if we're on a mission together, how powerful is that? And, and, and not only, but it's beautiful, is it? That, it is. I, I think that is what the divine gave to us for us to use for our development and growth. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. We can isolate ourselves and say, oh, I had a bad experience with somebody here. So therefore, I'm never talking to people who look like this or that. Right. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not healthy in your workplace. It's not healthy in healthy relationships. Exactly. I, I think it, you miss out, right? Absolutely. You miss out in getting to know other people and exchange of Absolutely. ideas and thoughts and food and, you know. Um, oh, yes. Cetera, right? And, you know, and it's funny you say that because I'm all about, I'm, I'm all about introducing where I came from to people who might not have had the what I call the Latino experience. Mm-hmm. I invite you into my world because I love my world right. and I want to share my world with you. You know, uh, so I guess it, it really boils down to you feeling good about who you are as a person, who you represent as a person. And uh, believe me, it's not been easy to get to this point in my life. But I often tell my friends and my colleagues, I said, yeah, I earned all these stripes that you may not see. I've earned them all. My chest is full right. of stripes. It's beautiful. Of and badges. Right. And I value, said, right? Because nothing goes to waste. As you said, we get experiences and put in, we put in places where we know God knows we can handle. 
Absolutely. And we handle it and learn from it. Absolutely. And, and then move forward with it, right? That's yeah. wisdom gained. Absolutely. In the process. Absolutely. And not afraid to share it. Oh, no, no. You see, that's the thing. I was never timid. <laughs> I, was, I was quiet, but not timid. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, you know, so, and, and when I get moving, I think, yeah. 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 And, that's, and that's beautiful. I say to my colleagues, they say, Myrna, you're so outspoken. I said, no, no, it's not that I'm outspoken. I'm speaking for me and the voices that you don't hear or the voices that are afraid to speak. I said, but they'll find their voice. They will find their voice. If they hear that it's okay, Mm -hmm. they will find their voice. That's what I want them to do is find their voice. That's part of mentoring. That's part of sharing. That's part of that seeing what risk I'm taking in doing this. Well, the beauty of this is that if you want other people to be able to speak up and share their experiences, you have to be able to do that first, right? Otherwise, you know, you can't expect other people to do it whilst you, you know, um, well, so as we're doing this, you know, would you believe we're almost an hour in? Um, Oh! (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. So as we were talking about social justice for women, et cetera, what helpful strategies you've used in your personal life as a mother, as a teacher, as an administrator, and as a community leader that would help somebody else on that same, any one of those journeys to uh, reflect on or use or? There's something that I, a quote that I, I used in one of my presentation that really resonated with me you know, when you're reflecting on life, you, you just do, you know, just do what you have been doing for so long. But the, the quote came from Mark Twain. And what resonated to me is that the quote says as follows, there are two important dates in your life. One of the dates is when you were born and the day you found out why you were born. In other words, you found your purpose. And so the moment you can find your purpose is the moment that you're going to flourish and you're going to, you have to own it. One of the things I learned late in life, I think is, and that was, it was very late. I'm being very honest with you, but I'm reflecting now. And you have to also practice self-love. You don't practice self-love. It's going to be difficult for you in some ways to assist others and being more sure of themselves and the direction in which they're going. Don't wait until, you know, you're at the tail end of your career or don't wait until it gets to the point where it stresses you out or you have high anxiety about certain things. Practice self-love, go to yoga, go to seminars that embrace you doing, being the best of best you, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Go to seminars, go to conferences. There are a lot of free free stuff also being offered all over the place, right? Absolutely. Find one that calls to you. Absolutely. uh, And and connect with other people with same interests and new doors open. Absolutely. And positive people. You know, so often we we are behind closed doors and, you know, we hear a lot of negativity. You have to find a... um, a safe place where you can joke, 
where you can call someone or, or a mentor that says, you know, oh, I need your help. I need your help. I need you to give me some good words of advice or something like that. But find that person, find those individuals, because it really helps you move along in your journey. That's nice. I like that a lot. So as we close, what would you say, uh, who is a woman of power and grace to you? Oh, there are so many. But the one woman of power and grace that I think will always be part of me is my mother. My mother was a very powerful woman and she didn't know it, but I know it. She instilled the tenacity I think that I have given when she came here. She knew so little, but I said to my mom, she's no longer with me in person, but she's with me in spirit. Right. Always. Yeah. Always. And she has always... I said to her, mom, if you were educated, you would be dangerous because she was such a smart woman. Not only was she a smart woman, she was a hard worker. She was a scholar in her own world. Right. So I learned so much from her and I see a lot of her tenacity and passion in me. So that, that to me will, was and will always be for me the most powerful woman. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time. I know you're getting busy to wrap up uh, everything <laughs> from your office. And I appreciate one thing that you live from a place of compassion, you know, and very, very, very lucky to have had the relationship that we've had all over the years. And I hope that we'll connect again after your retirement. And oh, we'll we will definitely really do a few things for women. Oh, I would love that. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for you. calling upon me and have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay blessed. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And to all our listeners, I'll see you back in a couple of weeks. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.